While you're standing, would you please take your Bible and turn to the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Again, we're going to be considering and uh, finishing up today with verses 23 and 24, and then I think next week we might be finishing the book, maybe. We'll see as we study this week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, I really look forward to sharing this, not only with all of you, those of you at home, uh, but with these precious students who had a great weekend, a great yesterday, right? A good weekend and learned a lot. Um, so glad that they're representing here this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Let's start there. Now, uh, listen to how Paul ends this up. A great hope uh, for every believer, young or old. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Oh God, I tremble when I think of handling the Word of God. This is, this is your very Word. You have given us your Holy Spirit, so it's not just uh, me as I speak, as I preach this message that I've prepared it's every one of us from every walk of life, every season of life. We need to have a, a certain guarantee no matter where we are. We need to have the guarantee of glory that someday you will bring to completion what you have started. And uh, Lord, that is your purpose for us. So help me as I proclaim your word. Help all of us to hear your word and to respond to your word. We pray this for your glory and for our good. In the name of Jesus, amen. I know because I, I talk with enough of you and other people too that all of us are seeking a, a sense of purpose for our lives. Students, that's not just for you as you uh, make your way through junior high and then high school and then on into college or maybe a training school, that kind of thing, or maybe work, and you're, you're looking perhaps for a relationship, a special relationship, and then family. And, and, and a lot of people are asking, what is the purpose that God has for me and for my life? In fact, there was a very, very popular book. I'm sure it's still incredibly popular on the bestseller list for a number of years, the purpose-driven life. Now, that might have started with some good thinking, but ultimately it shifted. And it became a focus on me and my purpose and the drive to figure that out, under God, of course, but the drive to figure out what does God have for me in the way of purpose. Well, let me share with you today, students, everyone else here, young, old, God has but one overarching purpose for the Christian. He has saved and is in the process of saving you and will ultimately save you, and here's the purpose, so that you can be like Jesus. I shared a while back that one of these days when we stand before God, and I'm talking to believers right now, that I can just envision the Father. Sometimes we, we look at His transcendence. We don't look at His closeness. But I, I think it, it could be very real that He's going to, to grab each one of you by the shoulders. He's going to look into your face, and He's going to say, hey, step back. Let me see how much like my son you look. It means to knowing. It means, get this, and I, I think the Puritans had it right. We look at them as being kind of a, a big group of sour-faced individuals. 
But they wrote things like the chief end and purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God wants us to enjoy Him, to reflect right now His glory in a fallen world and then to do so throughout eternity. Everything that is going on in your life, for those of you sitting here in the overflow, in the masked only room, at home, over here, over there, everywhere, every one of you, I want you to know something. Everything that is happening in your life, everything that is going on in your life, down to the smallest detail, is working to accomplish that purpose of becoming more like the Son, Jesus, and reflecting His glory throughout eternity. Now, you see the outline in front of you. You probably are thinking, are we really going to get through that in one day? Yes, we're going to try our best. Uh, but but there, there are several things I want to go back, and we talked about some of this last week. And so I, I just want to review very, very quickly in verse 23, the first part of this where he talks about the God of peace. A wonderful, beautiful picture of God, the God of peace himself, sanctify you completely. Now, let's remember that that sanctification process it has a sequence to it. It goes back to the past, it continues in the present, and it will continue on into the future. I want to show you something that I, if you'll remember, some of you who happened to be here in those days, I preached through the book of Romans. And when we came to this particular part in chapter 8, we talked about, and I'm not the first that have come up, has come up with this terminology, but this is what's called the golden chain of salvation. It is an unbreakable chain of salvation. And I want you to see how that the very beginning where we know that God is taking, like I said a, mi- a few minutes ago, every detail of your life, everything that's happening to you, believer, and he's working it for his good because he's called you according to his purpose. And then I want you to see how that at the end, what that end piece is in its glory. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Let me stop here. I don't usually do this, but I would like you to say that with me so that you can hopefully internalize it. So let's, uh, we know that for those who love God, now I want you to say this next phrase with me. All things work together for good. I didn't make it up. God said it. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then he goes on. And here's where he, he, he shows you a little bit of that chain. Not every word that we're talking about is used here. But there is enough so that we can see that there's a chain that, that begins in eternity past. I'm not going to do a full explanation of that. I did that in the book of Romans. I went back and reviewed my sermons and I thought, oh my, did I really preach that long? I'm talking about every Sunday. I thought, how did I get through these notes? But we talked about this. For those whom he foreknew. Now, I want you to just just look at this. It doesn't say what he foreknew. It says whom he foreknew. He foreknew a people, a particular group of people that now the next link comes. He also predestined, don't get hung up on that word. It's a good biblical word. To be, here's another word, conformed to the image of his son in order that he might, the son might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're going to come back to that concept here in a minute in the book of Hebrews. Verse 30, for those whom he predestined, he also called, linked together. You never have a calling without a predestinating, without a foreknowledge. For those whom he called, he also justified. For those whom he justified, he also, now he skips sanctification, but it's in the process. Now look at this. He uses the past perfect. He also glorified. This chain is unbreakable. Why? Because you and I somehow are good enough to keep the chain together? No, because God forged the chain. He put the chain together. 
Everything that's a part of that link is going to be there. It has to do with our past. Our, you, you, you saw the word, our justification. The God of peace makes peace through the death, the atoning death, the sacrificial death of his son. His son died in our place so that God could declare, legally declare something of everyone who's a believer in this room. He declared you and me forgiven, but also righteous. You remember our definition of justified, just as if I'd never sinned, but lo and behold, that's not enough. We've got to have the positive side to fill it up, just as if I had perfectly kept the law of God. That's what he did in the past. That's pretty good. What's he doing in the present? Our sanctification. That is the continuous, lifelong process. Now remember in justification, we were declared righteous. Now we are being made righteous. That's the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And the whole gist of last week's message God is a finisher, and he will finish what he has started. Now, listen to this statement. It's very important for our understanding of glorification. I'm going to say it twice. At death, for a believer, it's something else for a non-believer, but at death, our sanctification, being made more like Christ, is completed, but not our salvation. Let me say that again. At death, and everybody in this room, barring a return of the Lord, pretty soon for some of you, is going to face death. And at death, your sanctification and mine will be complete. I'm looking forward to that. Sanctification is a hard hard road. We walk it with the Lord, we saw that last week, but it's, it's not always easy. There are ups and downs, there are fits and starts and all the rest of that. But once we go to rest in the arms of Jesus, our salvation is not completed. Why? You know, th there are a lot of people who grew up in the church who have missed this somehow. I don't know where we missed it, but we have. The, the answer to the why is because we do not yet have those who are in the bosom of Abraham, in paradise with Jesus now, they do not have their glorified, resurrected bodies. That happens at the third and the final step of salvation. And that's what we're talking about today. Our future glorification. The glorious resurrection of our bodies and that's going to happen instantaneously when Christ returns. Those glorified, resurrected bodies will be reunited with our spirit, soul, however you want to look at that internal side of us, and we will enter the eternal state. And so what's the goal of what we're doing? You come to church, you're hearing a sermon, you had a big weekend, you learn some things about taking off grave clothes and some other things like that and walking with the Lord. What's, what's the deal? What's the goal of our sanctification? Folks, the goal of our sanctification is glory. And if you have struggled this past week with what is going on in your life particularly, then let me show you a verse, Hebrews chapter Two, did we already pass that one? Uh, somehow, let's see, that got out of whack. Okay, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. <laughs> that's uh, not operator error. That, that's my error probably for dumping a slide in there and not actually changing it. So... Uh, Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 because I do want you to see this verse. And, and I just love it. This is what God is all about. Just, just because I stumbled, please don't lose the train of thought. What's, what's been going on in your life this last week and those times when you struggled with, I don't get it, I don't understand what God is doing. Now maybe, 
and, and Jan and I were talking about this. I mean, we count ourselves blessed. We had heat the whole time. We had water the whole time. We could get out in my four-wheel drive and go down to the store and get food and all the rest of that. And there are people that are just so much less fortunate than we are. But there are things going on. Even if you're in that category of not having to go through those things, you're going through some other things. I know that. And in Hebrews 2.10, here's what the writer to the Hebrews said about the goal of satisfaction being glory. For it was fitting, you got it? 2.10, Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So here's what he's about. His final act is all about glory, bringing many sons to glory. Now, glory is a hard word. It's a difficult word to define. Well, let me give you an illustration of that. How do you, how do you define beauty? Well, I, I'm not sure you can define it. You just... You just know what it is. And sometimes the old saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, but defining glory, it, it's, it's, it's light. I'm talking about a brightness. It, it, throughout the, the Old Testament, we see the Shekinah glory of God. It's that fire, that brightness, that light. But it's also a heaviness, a weight. It has weight. Glory has weight. It's not, it's not frivolous. But whatever it is, this is where we end. We end. This is where it all culminates for those who are known by God. Now, here's what strikes me as incredible. And, and some of you are reading with our Bible reading plan, aren't you? And you're, you're in, now you're in Exodus or, or Leviticus. I'm in Leviticus now and reading a little bit ahead. And so it's all about the, 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 the tabernacle and the glory of God coming to fill the tabernacle. And it strikes me as incredible, get this, that the very thing that's used throughout Scripture to describe God, glory, is spoken about in Hebrews 2.10 as our destiny. Is God glorified? Is he? Yes. Then we are too. We will be glorified. Now, I've got a couple of quotes there, and I'm going to read from these quotes. I don't always do that. But look at what C.S. Lewis said about every person that you meet. I want you to think about this. Students, I really want you to think about this. I, our mission team meets today, and so I've had missions on my mind, and I taught perspectives this last week. Zoom, during the snow, Zoomed with over 100 people teaching perspectives on three different nights. And so I've been, been thinking about this, and, and I go back to when I, I remember one of the first times we were in Turkey, and we were walking down this incredibly crowded street, and the, the, the missionary there said to us, I don't know that it's passed your mind, crossed your mind, but everyone you're seeing passing you probably Everyone you're seeing is probably lost. I, I don't know that that's something we think, and think about walking down the street in Oklahoma City or driving in, in our cars. But, but here, here is the point. C.S. Lewis said this. There are no ordinary people. You, you have never met a mere mortal. Are you following him? Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations. Let me just insert whatever is going on around you. These are mortal. And their life to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, go to big weekend with. Marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors 
or everlasting splendors. When Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, comes to the conclusion of the picture of sanctification for believers, we'll go back to that Romans passage, just think with me. He doesn't end by saying we will be glorified. Did you catch that? He doesn't use the future tense, even though from our point of view it's future, all right? From our point of view, it hasn't happened. And I hope, I, I really hope, that all of us are anticipating that. We're looking forward to our future glorification with great anticipation and longing. But when Paul comes to that, that, that verb in Romans chapter 8, he uses, as I said a few moments ago, the past prophetic tense. Why? Now, the only possible reason that he would have done that is because he wants us to see something. Like I said last week, God is a finisher. It, and I believe that, that Paul is, again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying that our salvation from, finish, from, from start to finish is so certain that from God's point of view, it is possible to think of it as already having had happened. In other words, it's bad grammar, but it's good theology. So here is something that I hope you'll follow. How certain should you be that at a point in time you believed in Jesus and became his son or daughter? How certain should you be of that? I think you ought to be very certain so how certain should you be that God has justified you by His grace through faith? Very certain. Here is the gist of what Paul is saying. He wants his children to be just as certain of their future glorification. From God's point of view, you're already there. It's a fact. It's a done deal with no contingencies whatsoever to alter it. Now, we'll hit the Philippians 1.6. We hit this last week. From one point of view, it looks like we begin it, but we know that God began it. Now, what is the good work? It is salvation in all three tenses, past, present, and future. God always finishes what He starts. He's never going to go back on anything that He said For a true believer, there will be no dropouts. The certainty of glorification is, if you want to call it something else, several other names have been attached to it. How about this? The perseverance, the preservation of the saints. Or assurance of eternal security. Or, the way I grew up, kind of misunderstanding it, once Saved, always saved. And if you understand it correctly, all of those are beautiful pictures. Now, we already walked through the first part of this, but I want us to walk through several verses again out of Romans chapter 8 so that we can see the, the, the marvelous conclusion that Paul comes to. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. There is no charge, and I love that in 1 Thessalonians where he says we're going, to be, uh, we're going to be kept blameless. That means there's no charge. Nothing can be brought against us. There is no condemnation. Nobody will be there to condemn us. And nothing or no one can ever separate us from the love of of God, the unchangeable love of God, the eternal love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Now, let, let me add something to this. We, uh, and I, I, I say this over and over, and it's really, it's really a plug. It's an advertisement for being involved in ABF. 
whether here on campus or via Zoom. It, it, it always amazes me how that, that whoever's teaching, I, Jamal was teaching this morning, and we don't, we don't coordinate, I don't coordinate my sermon with his teaching, but we were talking about this very thing. That the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, the final glorification of the saints, does not mean, and I want you to hear this, does not mean that all who profess faith in Christ should be certain of heaven. And there are who, those who have professed to believe and then have fallen away, and it becomes easy to base our beliefs on experiences so that we come away believing that a person can really be in Christ and be born again and then become unborn and no longer in Jesus Christ. And so I, I want to here just give you, before we get into some of the specifics about why it's important that we believe in the doctrine of of the glorification, future glorification of the saints, I want to give you one of those warnings of Scripture. The, the Bible is not just all fluff, and well, it's not any fluff. But, but sometimes people almost make it so. It's just all love, 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 and there are, no, there are no warnings from Scripture. And there are warnings from Scripture that have bite. And this is one of those. So I would like you to consider it with me, not only for yourself, but because you have friends, you have loved ones who have their experience, they were in church, they were church members, everybody thought that they were Christians and yet they've fallen away. And I believe a passage like this in Hebrews chapter 6 explains very well the condition that they were in. And so I want you to consider with me, and then if you don't agree, we can come back and dialogue about that at some point. I would love to. But let me walk you through and look at the words that are used, the pronouns that are used in this passage of Scripture. And, and, and the writer of the Hebrews is talking about our salvation and talking about the new covenant, what it means. But he comes to a place where he says this, it is impossible. I want, you to, I want you to key on that word. You might even write it on your notes. It's impossible. In the case of those, I don't think he's talking about us, and I'll show you why in a minute. But he's talking about those. Those, who are those? Those people who were a part of the fellowship. It talked about all through the New Testament. John talks about those who were of us. They were in us, among us, but they really weren't of us, and so they fell away. But in the case of those who have once been enlightened, there has been an enlightenment. If you come to church, and let's say that you, you're not in Christ. Well, I pray that that's not the case for anyone here, but it, it could be. And in, in, in many churches, that is the case. A person comes to church, and they're enlightened. But enlightenment doesn't necessarily mean salvation. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They haven't taken it in. They haven't swallowed it, but they've tasted it. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They have felt the Holy Spirit's conviction in their life that they need to repent and turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. They've tasted. Here's that word again. Look at all of the, 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 the words that are used are descriptive of a person who's come right up to it. They've tasted of the goodness of the Word of God. Sitting under teachers, sometimes from the time they were children, and, and teenagers, and adults, even to some of us really, really old people, Ed. And they've sat under the Word of God. They've, they've tasted the goodness of the Word of God. And of the powers of the age to come, they've witnessed certain things happening all around them. Now, go back to that word impossible. It is impossible. That's where it connects here. When they have fallen away, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. 
That is a hard saying of Scripture, but it's a very necessary warning that is true and that has bite. Now, here's one of the reasons why I do not believe that that's talking about true believers, because you see where that is? And by the way, in some of these verses, I've left out portions of those just for clarity. I want you to go back and read the whole thing. I'm not trying to just cherry pick. I'm, I'm trying to make it abbreviated so we can get through it this morning. But You see, we ended with verse 6 of chapter 6 of Hebrews. Well, let's go down a couple of verses. And Paul differentiates between those and us. Though we speak in this way, yet not in their case, but in, in your case. In your case, believer, we feel sure of better things. What are those better things? Things that belong to salvation. Salvation, past. Salvation, present. The process of sanctification. Salvation, future. Glorification. And that's why when I was studying for this over the last two weeks, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24. And then I, I just, I went to Romans chapter 8. The language there is clear. It's undeniable that true believers, listen, we all know this. True believers do fall into temptations. And there are some times that we do commit grievous sins, but these sins do not cause us to lose our salvation. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. A son may sin, but he is still a son. And God will not disinherit his sons. So could I, could I just press? If you are a taster, who reveals no love for the Father. The only thing that you're revealing is that you're not a true son or daughter after all. So with that, and pressing into, again, the hope of future glory, the practical benefits, let's, let's bring it back up, okay? That was a, like I said, that was one of those warnings that has bite, I hope it did, not because I said it in a certain inflection or a certain way, but I just wanted to read the Scriptures and let the Holy Spirit convict. I, I can't do that. The Holy Spirit in His Word can. So let's bring it back. What are the practical benefits? By the way, when I say practical, please understand that I believe every word in this book is intensely practical. There is some that just more easily make sense than others, but it's all practical. Don't ever separate out, oh, this is practical. Here are some practical benefits of the reality of future glorification. Number one, and I'm just going to do these. These are bullet points. These are going to be quick, but I'd like you to get them down, down in your heart. It encourages us to believe the promise of Romans 8.28 when we're tempted to worry about the future. We are people that live in the world. We don't escape. We're not monks going to a monastery. I'm not, I, I'm not encouraging you to do that. But the Romans 8.28 promise that, that we know, we have this bedrock assurance that every detail of everything that is happening in your life, that there is purpose and there is plan. I'm not talking about fatalism, but there is a purpose and a plan. And I say this to anyone who ever worries, I'm not going to get into the nuances of is sin a worry? I, we, I mean, is worry a sin? Is fear a sin? We all, we all have tendencies from time to time to worry and to fear. Not only because of the things going on around us, I think sometimes of the of uh, just the, the whole situation of our culture and world. But, but here I'm, I'm really talking about a worry that I've talked about the last couple of weeks 
uh, uh, over your sin, your own personal sin, or your personal lack of progress in spiritual things. And, and if there is no progress, if, if you have sin that's backlogged in your life, then I, I think there should be some healthy concern. If you never worry about that, if you're never concerned about that, that you should worry or be concerned. But I'm talking about to the sincere believer, like I mentioned last week, in my own life, I look at myself sometimes and I see the lack of progress. I see where I would like to be. And, and I think, Lord, will, will I make it? Then what we need to do is stop and meditate on future glory and the connection to the all things that are happening right now in your life. We've said this before, and I hope you affirm it. We believe that nothing takes place in the created realm apart from the reality of the sovereign providence of God. I like R.C. Sproul's quote on this. There are no maverick molecules. And that's not only for your present good, but for your future glory. I, I was looking at a, a lot of different passages of scriptures, but I looked at Luke chapter 12 and, and uh, in context of fear. And Jesus uh, there in Luke 12 verses 4 through 7, he was saying, don't, don't fear those. And I would put a that in there too. Don't fear those who can kill your body. Why would you be afraid? Here, I'll tell you who to fear. Who to fear? The one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. In other words, we're to fear God. But then he kind of changes it, and I thought, this is really cool, how we are to fear God with that appropriate sense of reverence and awe. And then he goes on to talk about sparrows and how much God cares for sparrows and how much God cares about the numbers of hairs on your head. And I just did a quick inventory of people that I know in our congregation. I guess he cares. Well, anyway, I won't say <laughs> more for some than others that don't have as much hair. What's the connection to that? He does care. And he wants you to see that every detail of your life is working so that you can look forward someday to that future glory. Second thing, and you see these on your outlines, you don't have the scriptures with all of them. Having a view of our future glorification will encourage you in your personal growth to maturity in Christ. I love this. 2 Corinthians 3.18. There is a progression. Okay? Let me give you a couple of things of hope for yourself and hope for your children and hope for your grandchildren. Don't look for instant sanctification. Don't look for sanctification to happen in the, the monumental things, but in the momentary things. Sanctification is a lifelong process. Your growth to maturity in Christ, we all with unveiled face, that's the New Testament covenant hope. Beholding the glory of the Lord, that's what we should be doing every morning when we read the Word, when we pray every day, when we're applying the Word to our daily lives. We are being transformed into the same image. Look at this, from one degree, I like the way the ESV puts this, from, from one degree of glory to another. This is going to happen almost imperceptibly, and that's why sometimes... You parents of young children and even teenagers, when you don't see the process of that sanctification being borne out, just continue to trust God and pray and equip and disciple. Knowing that the process of sanctification is moving from one degree of glory to another. I did that on purpose to wake some of you up. No. I have no idea what's going on. But we'll, whatever it is, we will get it worked out. Uh, 
I was informed at the very beginning we were having some problems, so those of you at home, please bear with us. Uh, we'll, we'll get this thing right. But right here, again, future glorification, we're moving from one degree of glory to another, and then someday we will be at rest with Jesus, and someday we'll have our glorified bodies. There's a third thing that the, the, the prospect of future glorification can do. It will encourage us when we suffer. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring you into his presence. Now watch this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. There, there are some of you who are having problems connecting the dots in suffering, either for you or for a family member or for something you see in the world. And I want you to know that whatever is happening for you, it's all about future glory. Jesus is our Savior. He is our model in terms of the trials we endured, he endured for our sake. And if he walked through a similar process, then we do too with the ultimate goal of being made like him. John Piper said once, I love this quote, the pain of shattered plans is for the purpose of scattered grace. You may want to write that down. The pain of shattered plans is for the purpose of scattered grace. And, and I don't understand why people go through all the things that they go through. Again, I, I want to refer to the quotes, and I want to just read that quote from Johnny Erickson Tata, who is a teenager, diving accident, spinal cord injury. But look at how she, and she's, used, she's allowed the Lord to use her life to bring glory, even through the, the, the things that she has gone through. But, but I, I love the way that she expresses the hope and future glory. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body. Light, bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives to someone, someone's spinal cord injured like me? or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope this gives to someone who is manic depressive. And then she says this, no other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds, only the gospel of Christ. In the gospel of Christ, do hurting people find such incredible hope? There's a fourth thing that it does. It encourages us. I'm talking about the hope of glory when we face death. Paul writes that the body is sown, perishable. It's raised imperishable. We're talking about the body. You think of a loved one who's in the grave right now. And that person is resting in heaven. We, we, we don't have clarity on the, the exact state, but someday... That perishable body, I think of my mother many times who passed away in 1982. I try not to get morbid or those kinds of things, but think about the condition of the body. We know that the Bible says it returns to dust, but do you know on that day, that perishable and perishing body will be raised imperishable. Sown in dishonor, raised in what? What a hope for death. I, that's why I put these two quotes by John Calvin and Erwin Lutzer in. And, and I know that we're living in a day and, and people struggle with death. But like the song says, one of my favorite songs, Rocky, it's one of your favorite songs too. I've heard you refer to it 
many times. For a Christian, it's an old hymn that's been redone. It is not death to die. And then the last one. Having this hope of glory helps us. It encourages us to take the necessary risks to advance the kingdom of God. Do you know what the goal of missions is? What's the goal of missions? Well, that's easy to save people. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. And the whole goal of missions is to bring the nations, as someone has said, into the white hot worship of God. And if we see this as glorious, then never again, if you're asked to go on a mission trip, and you can, I know that you, some of you can't, providentially hindered or health or, or whatever else, but never, ever again will you ask, is it safe? I can't tell you how many times when I talk about going on a mission trip to wherever, Turkey primarily, somebody will say, is it safe? And I'll say, I, it's as safe as going to downtown Oklahoma City on any given day. But is that the first question that ought to be considered in worldwide evangelization? Listen, folks, it is coming. I don't, I, I am not one to get up here and... Uh, uh, share things with you to, to lock you into fear. This, this is a moment of victory for the church. It can be. And I just came across this article this morning. How to pastor when sanctification becomes illegal. I'll, I'll give this to you at, at some point in time. This, I'll just read a couple of sentences. Where I live and pastor, some aspects of sanctification are now illegal. A recent decision in my home state of Victoria in Australia seeks to overturn this work of God's grace. The Victorian Parliament has adopted the... This, this has just happened has adopted the Change or Suppression Conversion Practices Prohibition Bill 2020. Amongst other things, the Conversion and Suppression Practices Bill criminalizes any prayers or conversations in which one person aims to persuade another person that pursuing certain sexual activity is not the best course of action. It is not only illegal to pray or speak with an individual about changing their sexual orientation or gender, gender identity, unless, of course, that means changing to an LGBTIQ plus lifestyle. The law states that suppression is also illegal. He goes on to say, while these laws target individuals coming to the church. Will it ever come here? Will we leave church after the pastor has preached in the days ahead saying, is it safe to witness? Again, if that's the first question we ask, rather than what is the glory of God that propels me, that liberates me to take necessary risks for the kingdom of God. Understanding that in a, a, a passage like Luke 21 where he talks about persecution and all of those things coming and then he says not a hair of your head will perish. And that's why glorification our ultimate picture of salvation must be kept before us. Final doxology. We'll close with this. Almost. 
We'll close with a gospel appeal. But here's a, here's a doxology, a final benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. But all of this is only for those who have been joined to Christ. That's where the gospel comes in. If you have not been joined to the Lord, if you've not been awakened to the reality that you're lost and undone and helpless to save yourself, if you've never seen you have no power to justify yourself before a holy God based on your own merits. And if you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this verse in 1 Thessalonians, which says that you will be kept, you will not be kept unless you repent and turn away from your sin and turn by faith to Jesus Christ so that you will be kept and you can stand in his presence glorified. Father, I pray that there are those, if there are those in this congregation who are in that situation and have never turned away from sin and turned by faith to you. If they look at themselves, they see no fruit, no evidence of sanctification going on in their lives. Oh God, how I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit and your word preached, that you would bring them to a total undoing in terms of relying upon themselves. And you would bring them by faith to Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would do that for your glory and that they would join not only in the ranks of those who will live forever glorified, fully sanctified, fully saved. But for right now, they would join in the ranks of the forgiven in fellowship until they die or the Lord Jesus comes back. Thank you, Lord, that we can look with confidence at your power to save, even as we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.